Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is sponsored by everylibrary.org. If you've been listening to the show lately, you've heard about my recent return to my public library, and we've been talking for as long as this show has existed about the value of public libraries and the many ways that they serve our communities. Everylibrary.org exists to help support libraries because there are organizations that are trying to defund and get rid of libraries in the United States. You can find extensive examples at action.everylibrary.org slash support local. You can also find out how to contact your local government representatives to help support the libraries in your own communities to make a contribution that helps every library continue to fight for libraries or to sign a petition for libraries. Again, that's action.everylibrary.org. Thanks for sponsoring. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 166, and we're recording on Thursday, July 14th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from BrookRiot.com. Uh, it's I can't say happy fourth, happy summer. We're just we're just here. Man, it's dog days. It is a dog days. Dog days. It's been hot there in Virginia, hasn't it? So hot. It is a, literally a hundred degrees here today. My dog is passed out on the floor in the other room, looking exactly the way that you think a basset hound looks when it's a hundred degrees outside. <laughs> and I'm I just keep looking at her and I'm like, girl, me too. Yeah, just like you are, Millie. You are a a uh, a canine meme of hotness right now. Like, you just <laughs> yeah. you are you are the, literal. Yes, the dog. It's, the dog of the dog of summer. She is the doggest of the dog days. Yeah. It's, it's rough here. Um, and we're we're both struggling this morning because we got yes. hit by that Natalie Portman, Jonathan Safran four <laughs> email exchange. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. I don't even know what to say about it. I even, we had we had a vent session before the show. I don't even know what to say about it that I can say in public because it's so no, strange. It's the weirdest. But if you're into strange, I mean, we've been doing the show a while and it's one of the weirdest like big time name thing, like whatever like, weird things happen in the you know the smaller corners of the internet. But like this was a big it, basically. You know what it is a reconstructed email exchange between Natalie Portman, yeah, the actress, and Jonathan Safran Foer, the the author. Um, that is Appar- very strange. Yeah, uh, apparently they had many years of email exchanges. That were just like organic, we are friends and maybe more than friends mm-hmm. email exchanges that got lost <laughs> when he lost his Hotmail account. Uh, way to stay current, JSF. Uh, yeah. Um, and instead of writing a profile of her, um, she's making her directorial debut. The idea, someone's idea, someone's terrible bad idea committee idea was to have them conduct an email exchange since that's the thing they do anyway that could be published um so that's what it is perform i'm calling it performative email yeah go it's take so a look I, and i don't know shoot us a private email or right, podcast at bookride.com we promise we won't publish <laughs> we it have in like a- 9,760 questions about it. Yeah, there might be a post on the site um, from one of our contributors because we all collectively on our Slack back channel, we were just like, what in the world uh, uh, is this? Um, So let's go to our first story. We we have small stories this week, mostly, um, which is fun. It's fun for the dog days. This one is super interesting. Um, 
I linked to this in uh, the show, uh, the critical link the other day. Barnes and Noble and its uh, continuing mission to, I guess, stay alive and figure out what the future of Barnes and Noble really looks like. Um, mm-hmm is experimenting in some of its stores with beauty sections, um, which is a euphemism for makeup and stuff, right? Yep. Um, So high-end stuff to kind of drugstore-level things, I guess, is the idea. Uh, They're calling it the glossary, which is (laughs) actually not bad. It's not bad. I kind of love it in its terribleness. Yeah. No, I... I, I like mean, lip, because glossary, yes, like words, and like yeah, lip, gloss. lip gloss. It's uh, <laughs> as names go. I don't know. They could have done much better. No, but it's it's winky. It's it cute. is winky. I like it. Um, it's in three on-campus bookstores right now, and another one's coming. Um, you can I test products. You do everything right. This. Uh, I think this is interesting myself. What, what do you make of it? We haven't talked I about this at all. I think it's genius to put it in their campus bookstores. Uh-huh. Okay, tell like, me why. Because as many like college students being college students are short on funds, they're often short on time or they don't have their own modes of transportation and doing sort of a one stop shop thing is super useful. Like my college bookstore was a Barnes and Noble. It it had all of the textbooks. It had the like Barnes and Noble bestsellers. It also had all of the college gear, you know, like mm-hmm. the sweatshirts and the t-shirts and you needed to buy your grandma a coffee mug with your college's insignia on it. So you could do that thing. They had a random school supplies. Like this sort of makes sense like to to add on to the one stop of like well, if the kid is going to go buy lipstick anyway, mm-hmm. we could do it at the college bookstore and Barnes & Noble can keep those dollars instead of them going to CVS. Um, yeah. I, I think it's creative. It's a, like it, it at least smells like trying to solve a problem that right. their customers have yeah. um, in the way that like adding four-star restaurants does not look like solving a customer problem or like serving customers in a new and additional meaningful way. Um, this, it's, it's not bad. You know, in a lot of campuses, too, um, for example, it's hard to get to a, I'm just trying, like a Sephora or something like that, not not Mm -hmm. often one right around. Uh, So, you know, the bookstore that's on campus, maybe even in the union or close to the union or student center, wherever it is, becomes the, you know, the commissary of the college. Like the union at KU, um, it had a big bookstore, which had all the sort of, you know, the bookstore things. But in a pinch, you know, it didn't have – it wouldn't have had something like this, you know, and close to the dorms, make it easy, make it fun and attractive to do. Um, I like this idea for books. So – but you don't – implicit in your um, uh, uh, comment that you like this for bookstores is you don't like this for a regular, you know, strip mall, suburban Barnes & Noble. I think my sample is skewed, but the many of the strips in Richmond that have Barnes and Nobles also have like an Ulta or a mm. Sephora or some other beauty or a Target where that has a large beauty section uh, in it. So yeah. it doesn't it doesn't seem like that you're not really adding convenience when two doors down there's already the place to go that carries your brand. But um, it, this. I'm sure there are places in the country where that's not true and it would be interesting, but I think it's smart to try it in the college campus bookstores first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess it, you could, if they're not going to have them in every store, they could decide on based on where a store is or location or whatever else, if like it would make sense to have um, that section mm-hmm. there. Um, I think it's smart. Like, you know, another thing especially is that women 
are more book buyers, especially print book buyers these days than men and, and by a pretty good margin. So you, you also think about what does your demographic want, right? That's another way of thinking about this. What, what else, you know, women that are educated and upwardly mobile and affluent, like there's, that's a really good demographic to, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they spend money, they have money. Um, now, like, where's the line, I guess? Like, you wouldn't want a clothing line. You know, you don't want clothes in Barnes Noble because like, you need fitting. Or like, there's a weird line at some place. But I like this idea of, like, what, what do people who that might come into Barnes & Noble on their own or if it has something else might come into Barnes & Noble want to see? Like, what? Because yeah. really the sideline stuff, like toys and games, they have a lot of increasingly now. And coffee and baked goods, I mean – it's not, they're yeah, not books, they, right? They're just like people right. like them. They're and lifestyle come in. Yeah. things. Um, like many years ago, when back when I was a Barnes and Noble bookseller, they were doing, they were testing out having cooking products in the stores that were partnerships with um, some of the well-known chefs at the time. So I think there was a Mario Batali line of stuff hmm. and there was a Rachel Ray line of stuff. Like she's known for having, she calls it the garbage bowl, I think, which is like the extra bowl on the counter where you toss like the onion peeling and all the stuff that's left over after you're chopping and you just accumulate it all and then deal with it later. So there was like a Rachel Ray garbage bowl you could buy. We had, I distinctly remember having like a cast iron skillets mm. um, and they were very, they were expensive. Like these were sort of premium developed by brand name chefs, but something that's, you know, more accessible to college students, but like basic cooking stuff um, could be really useful in a Barnes and Noble as well, um, paired up with like dorm room uh, cookbooks, um, which are do exist and are kind of their own thing or like you're, you're a cookbook for your first on campus apartment. And here's a basic set of like pots and pans and spatulas. I think that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, let's come back to that for a minute because it's related to this other interview I read with the, the CEO of Indigo Bookstores in Canada, but it's sort of a different, it's a related but different topic. Both do our, 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 our mm-hmm. sponsor for his Audible's back. Audible, as you know, is the leading provider of ebooks uh, excuse me audiobooks with over let's see what's our, are we over 250 now 250,000 titles from leading audiobook publishers broadcasters entertainers magazine and newspaper publishers and business information providers get a free app you download listen on your Kindle Fire over 500 MP3 players every modern smart smartphone unlike a streaming or rental service you own your books you get them anytime even after you 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 don't have a membership anymore you can still play them in the Audible app Great listen guarantee. You don't decide you don't like a book you chose for whatever reason. It's easy. You don't have to call anybody. It's all automated. You go in to log into your account, say, yeah, there's a little button there. Happens instantly. No questions asked. They want to be sure you have a great listen every time. It's a commitment to do an audiobook, and it's very personal and weirdly intimate in a way mm-hmm. that sometimes reading a text, uh, a prose, you know, printed, I'm not even sure I would say this, just a regular book um, isn't. Uh, and so, you know, make sure you're comfortable with the experience there. Um, go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookwrite for a free 30-day trial right now. Um, I'm listening to On the Move right now by Oliver Sacks. Oh, uh, I love that so much. Uh, is he the most interesting person that I've ever – wow. Like those Dos Equis commercials are secretly about They him. really are. Uh, you know, just you – know, W.H. Auden's, like, best friend, like, saw him off to the airport. He was addicted to meth for four years. He, at one point, he trained on Muscle Beach and became the California record holder for the squat. Like, just crazy. crazy. Just weird. And I'm only, and I still got, like, six hours to go. I don't even know yeah. what's going to happen next. Like, yeah, literally, no, it's like he's not even 30 yet, and you're like, whoa. And like, then you whoa. know what the rest of his life is going to be. Yeah, and, so... and, yeah, and he just, and the stuff about the movie hasn't, haven't happened yet, and, 
uh, literally he's entered this zone where literally any any anecdote he could tell now I, I would say, yeah, okay, I guess that makes sense. He's all, I mean, yeah. like, I got shot it to the moon accidentally. Uh, and I you're don't like, even sure, know. Okay. sure, okay, I guess. That makes, uh, you know, we've had that kind of life. Um, so it's really, really good. A rocky start, I have to say. I don't know if mm-hmm. you remember that. It, 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 the, the beginning was not the, all elegant. All the bicycle stuff, yeah. It just, it, it's, it, he moves around, and some of it is, I think, is life has so many facets that it's hard. A straight chronology doesn't work. Um, an organ. Organ, organizing it around theme or topic is difficult. So I don't know. So if you're interested, I think it's really good. One of the best memoirs I, I've ever listened to. But the first 30 minutes or so, if it feels, wow, this is weird and choppy. Um, just hang with just it. Just hang with it. I, I, it's going to be well worth your your while. Anything for you for Audible? You know, I'm about halfway through Lab Girl, uh, which yes. you and the rest of the world have recommended to me. And I'm really enjoying it. It, it, it definitely has that very intimate feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the book is intimate and the stories that Hope Jaron tells have that quality to them anyway. But the way that she reads, especially, it's very lovely and it makes you feel like she's like kind of sitting across from you with a glass of wine, like whispering her life story. Right. It feels very like here, listener, I trust you with these things. And some of it, like I was not prepared for quite how weird it would be. (laughs) Yes. There's some strangeness. (laughs) There are some, there is, but she also, she conveys this strangeness in such a matter of fact way that it, is taking me it takes me like I have a delayed reaction to it of like oh right that thing that she just said is actually pretty unusual but she tells these strange stories about herself as if they're like absolutely common yeah without acknowledging the strangeness of it normal, which is a which right. is a characteristic i lack utterly like oh, if yeah. something weird happens, I'm like, this is weird, right? Right? This is this is weird, huh? Huh? I mean, I, I need affirmation that something is strange. But she does not seem to. <laughs> well, either and it makes care you wonder too, it. like if she even knows that yeah. it's strange, um, which just to me adds a, an additional level of interesting uh, to the story. Yeah, I'm I'm the world's slowest audiobook listener, mm. um, but I'm I'm really enjoying it. Audiblepodcast.com slash book, right? Go get your free trial. Okay, great. I was uh, I was frantically Googling, and I can't find the interview with it. I'll have to look for it in the show notes. Um, but I was reading this um, interview with the CEO of Indigo Books. Her name is mm-hmm. Heather Reisman. Um, and she said this phrase, they've been revamping their stores. And not, not unlike the way Barnes & Noble has been experimenting, I think Indigo is a little further along in their process. They also – are the ones that started Kobo and sold it off for a big chunk of money, so they had some cash to play around with. Um, but the the phrase she used, she wants to be the the Indigo stores in Canada to be a book lovers department store, which I thought was a super interesting idea. Um, and what what all would go into that? And I don't know if beauty necessarily. I, mean, I don't know if those stores have beauty products, but they have a lot of stationery, a lot more sort of stationery and. Um, this is not something I really knew exists till I moved to New York. I don't know if they didn't have one in Kansas City or what, but like the high-end paper goods store. Oh, yeah. You know, what a, um, uh, Papyrus or Cape's mm-hmm. Papery in New York. I don't know if those are in other places. Um, there's some local ones here in Portland too. But they have, rel- they have big sections um, devoted to that, to clothing, book-related clothing, um, kind of like our friends at Out of Print. Um, do and like at the Strand has a good section of Strand clothing and pals here as well. So thinking of it as not just a bookstore, but a book lover store, which I guess that kind of resonates with what we do at Book Ride too, because it's called a book, but we really, we think of it more as about being a reader and about reading and books are of course a huge, huge part of that, but they're not the only thing. Right. Um, You don't have a reading life without books, but you have a whole bunch of other stuff that's not books in your reading life. So I, I think that is a super interesting way forward and a way to compete 
with, um, you know, not only online stores, but also for other physical retail dollars um, mm-hmm. is to speak to speak to like what a book lover is and what a book lover likes and some of the, and, and recognizing some of it isn't maybe necessarily about books like tea for whatever right. reason mm-hmm. i know a lot of people that the, like tea that like books i don't know if it's like whatever that connection is but that's one so there's a big tea section in to go not with a coffee like, store there and should everything be like else. a crafting section like crafting knitting. yeah that's a good one like uh anyway I, I think that's an interesting way forward for barnes and noble and indigo to think about as well they also have capital and the floor plan um you know the 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 what they call it the footprint of the store where they have space to try things tougher for an independent bookstore right where you have right. you know finite space these places have finite space too but to make let alone one section of the store, something that's not exactly your core business is very difficult to do. Make it about a lifestyle, make it about a feeling. You know, going on Amazon.com is great and convenient, but you wouldn't call it like a feel-good experience. <laughs> you know, it's like it's not right. fun it's necessarily to do. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I thought that that was an interesting way. Of yeah, I really like that. That's a nice analogy. And I do think that's an interesting and smart strategy forward. It's like in a much smaller way, it's what we do with the book mailboxes that Book mm-hmm. Riot produces, which um, are my like favorite pet projects. So I'll just toot my own horn for a <laughs> second. Um, but that's about here are books and then here are things that relate to loving books, um, like a, I don't know, an apron with a literary quote about food on it, that kind of thing. And the reading, the identity of being a reader is so significant to all of us who care about books, who are listening to this show, the people who are making this show, the people who read Book Riot, the people who make Book Riot, the people who shop in Indigo and Barnes & Noble and their independent bookstores. Like, thinking of yourself as a reader is a thing that really matters. And it spins out to all those, uh, all the other, you know, like things that touch our lives as well. Um, I'm a reader who drinks tea. I'm a reader who, you know, does other mm-hmm. things. Um, and as many of those as you can touch when you're a retailer, the better for you. Yeah. You're meeting you're meeting your customers' needs, but you're, of course, then also keeping your customers to do more of their spending with you. It's really smart. Yeah, I think that's good. If, you, if you're if you a Canadian or have been to an Indigo, one of the new renovated ones, I'd like to hear a thought podcast at bookwrite.com. Uh, yeah. The big, uh, I guess the big, big book... Sh- I, yeah. The big book news really this week, mm-hmm. um, we've been waiting for is that Carla Hayden was confirmed uh, finally, finally as the new Librarian of Congress. That's, this happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. She was approved 74 to 18. Um, it was being blocked anonymously by the Republicans, and then suddenly just sort of out of the blue, it seemed, uh, there was a vote and she passed. Um, she, she was confirmed. Um, I don't. I actually wasn't following the story. We talked about this a little bit when she was nominated in the confirmation hearing, but I don't know if it was ever in doubt. I, did, I didn't know if it was like the Supreme Court situation where Lord knows what's going to happen or if yeah, it really was something that we thought was going to happen before the election or whatever. It's else. tied up with the conservative group Heritage Action, um, which urged senators to vote no um, on this. They were saying that she had a record of liberal activism and that she was unqualified for the group. And that same <laughs> that same group. Yeah. Right. Unqualified for this job. Yeah, it's and just her, her, her CV is like it basically <laughs> says qualified for any library job that's ever existed with her CV. <laughs> right. It's truly bananas. Um, 
um, that that same group, Heritage Action, is the, has also been pressing Republicans to hold up all of the non-security related nominations for everything until uh, President Obama's term has ended. Um, the hook that they were hanging it on is that Hayden um, previously opposed something called the Children's Internet Protection Act when she was the head of the American Library Association. It was a law that required publicly funded libraries to install internet content filters on computers uh, in public libraries. And she opposed it because she was concerned that what was intended to be a pornography filter would also block out legitimate searches for things like breast cancer. Yeah. Um, you know, false positives in the filter, essentially. Um, and that law was, you know, something that she did not want to support. Um, she also didn't support pornography on public computers mm-hmm. and went to, of course, uh, and went to a, a great deal of trouble to say that technology has improved. This was during her confirmation hearing. She said, you know, technology's improved. The filters are more precise. Of course, public libraries don't support um, the use of pornography on public computers in any shape or form. Um, but this was, you know, she was, I think, an unfortunate victim for a while there of the machinations of Republicans attempting to, you know, stop anything that they perceive as liberal from occurring here um, in Congress for the next six months. Uh, We should say she's the first black person and the first woman to hold this position um, as librarian of Congress. So a very significant accomplishment for her. And it's about time. Yeah, it it sounds like she's got a lot of work to do. Um, Digitization of collections. Um, they also the, the Librarian of Congress, and I know less about this than I should. I, I read about it when I saw some pieces going around when James Billington, the last Librarian of Congress, stepped down, that they ha- the Librarian of Congress gets to do some sort of policy that's about fair use. Hmm. Um, and I'll find a link to put in the show notes, and I'm not going to say any more about that, but there is, there is some – it's not just the Librarian of Congress, but there is some policy element that uh, is super interesting for the digital A's especially. Um, you know, it's, also, it's the largest library in the world, and there's, there's, you know, ceremonial things that go along with that as a spokesperson, for sure, uh, and as a spokesperson, as an administrator. But there are also some um, things about copyright and fair use, and I, I should link to this, and I won't say any more because I'll get myself into trouble, which I probably already have. But um, a significant day, a good day for all the librarians we know um, are super excited about her. Mm-hmm. As far as as far as I can tell, um, yeah, I this looks seen, like a big win. Looks like a good a good solution, and she's <gasps> a pro and is going to get some stuff done. I think. Man, I would love to watch. Like, could she Snapchat a day in the life, or <laughs> something? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or like a an everyday documentary. Of yeah, seriously, uh, who knows what she's doing? Uh, it, would I mean, it would be super interesting to know um, what she does do all day, every day, and the scores of people that work there as well. And while we're in government talk, um, I didn't even, I have to admit, I didn't know this existed. The National Endowments for the Arts has a big read program um, where they, you know, they, they, they support projects all across the country. Four million Americans take part in these. They do some of those sponsorships of this community-wide programs where each reads a single book. You might see like Detroit Reads or Cleveland Reads or something like that. They do a lot of funding for that. Um, 
They also provide book lists and I think maybe even some subsidies for acquiring titles for libraries and things like that. But anyway, so it's it's a really interesting list to think about is what you were going to do, right? Like this is basically the federal government's recommended reading list, for lack of a better <laughs> metaphor. Um, and they, they, they added a bunch of new titles. Um, it's worth looking on, on its own. Um, the new additions are... You know, some you know, um, the Roundhouse by Lise Erdrich, which we, I know we both liked. Mm-hmm. Station Eleven by Emily Mandel, which we both really liked. Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng, uh, Citizen by Claudia Rankine. Um, let's see what else we have here that's that we've uh, talked about on the show before. Uh, when the Emperor Was oh, Divine by Julia Otsuka. Oh, yeah, Pretty, pretty Monsters. Pretty Monsters by, by Kelly Link. I just love uh, things they carried. I know we we both love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great list. I'm really impressed by it. I have to say. Um, I didn't do the the math, but it's at least 30% people of color. Um, you have some sci-fi mixed in. You have some um, you have some stuff in translation. You have some poetry. Um, you have some memoir, novel, a really interesting list. I think yeah, it's a great it list. Is, it is really interesting, and I think it's diverse in many ways. There are some crowd pleasers, mm-hmm. um, like book club selections. There is poetry. There's translation. There are some kind of stretch reads, yep. you know, um, some challenging books, um, important ideas, important voices. Um, really, really cool to see this as a sort of microcosm of what the NEA is getting at for um, ideas and uh, issues that they want America to be reading about and discussing. I think it's awesome. Yeah, interestingly, uh, it looks to me like everything has is the pub date on everything is 1970ish or later. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to see like the things that get bandied about as the great American novels. You're not going. There's no Gatsby. There's no Har- uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. There's no Moby Dick. Huck, you know, the oldest one. I really let's see it. Hmm. Let's see the things they carried came out in like 70. Is that right? No, 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 no. Like 88. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. True Grit by Charles Portis. That's been out a while. I don't know when that was published. Yeah, it's this not boy's as old life as I by Tobias to Wolf was like the 70s. Um, a Lesson Before Dying by Ernest Gaines has been out for a while. But yeah, anyway, those are the oldest ones I can see, and some of them were published. Like, I guess everything I never told you is the most is, recent. Yeah, I think one. it and it and um, Station Eleven came Station out. Station Eleven came both out in 2014. 2014. Yeah. yeah, so a really good list. Um, I think one that NEA should be proud of. Yeah, it feels kind of um, world book nighty to me. Oh, like interesting. Similar, yeah, similar in that mission. It's less populist than world book night yep. selections, but that same idea of um, hitting people with recommendations for books that people are actually going to want to read, mm-hmm. rather than like these are the books that we that these are the books that you're supposed to want to read. Like here's your list with Moby Dick on it. Um, that if you're trying to really expand interest in books from a ground up level, you don't start at Moby Dick. Um, but it's reasonable to think that someone might want to start with a really compelling novel about what happens after like an epidemic sweeps America mm-hmm. or what's going on in a family that was recently struck by tragedy. Um, here's a poetry collection by an African American poet that addresses major issues that are happening in our country right now. Um, it's really smart for, I think it's really smart for that, um, to take things that are more contemporary and accessible and, and go from that place. Um, it, it looks like meeting readers where they are. Uh, and if you're going to drop a list where you're interested in what sort of modern American literature looks like, and I don't use modern in the literary terminology one of like high modernism of Joyce or whatever, but like and not contemporary, which contemporary is usually last few years, but like the last, you know, 
our lifetimes, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're maybe, maybe if you add our parents' generations' lifetimes to the present day, this is a really good look at what contempor- modern into contemporary uh, American literature is doing. Um, kudos to the NEA for a thoughtful um, and fascinating list. All right, we better do another sponsor. What yes, the Dead Want um, by Nora Olson is our next sponsor. Um, Epic Reads is bringing this sponsorship to you. Here's the, here's the synopsis. 16-year-old Gretchen's passion for photography came from Mother Mona before she disappeared years ago. When Gretchen's great-aunt Esther calls unexpectedly to tell her that she has inherited a mansion on her mother's side of the family in upstate New York, Gretchen doesn't know anything except that her aunt needs her help. What she finds there is beyond her imaginations. It's full of secrets, ghosts of the past, the mystery of Mona's disappearance, and the evil that happened there during the Civil War are all mixed up and intertwined. And it's up to Gretchen to give figure out how before even more bad stuff happens. It's a classic haunted house mystery with a twist. You want something creepy and you want some history. It's a nice thing. It's a good setting. There's a, that tumultual historical past where you find out like all the family secrets coming out, almost literally skeletons in the closet. From what I understand, I haven't read it, but I, I, this is what I've been told. Eerie photographs for in the book. So it has like, you know, kind of that found document vibe going on as well. Um, and the whole package is sort of eerie illustrations. So um, thanks so much, Epic Reads, for sponsoring the show. That's What the Dead Want by Nora Olson. Go check that out wherever books are sold. It's available now. Let's talk about Audible. Audible did a sponsor, and they sponsorship. I never. It's always difficult when a sponsor mm-hmm. itself has news. Um, and I, I jumped over a story because I wanted to talk about this a little bit today because I've been thinking about this. I was thinking about it on Twitter. Some of you may have seen me about Audible's sort of podcasting move. Um, if you probably listen to this, you like podcasts, we know, because I don't know if you know this, but Hi. this is a podcast, um, but also probably like books. And so this is really the, the you know, the, the crossing the streams here. And what Audible is trying to do, they're, they're, they're um, I guess it's called Channels is the project, mm-hmm. where it's to bring short form audio content. They're trying to get away from the, the, the word podcast. Good luck with that. People have been trying yeah. to do that for 10 years. <laughs> You know, and they're trying to provide other value to your subscription. Um, if you you can, it's part of your Audible membership if you pay monthly like I do. Or if you just want like the podcast suite, and I'm going to use podcast. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not going to use your marketing lingo. Um, only if you pay me to. Uh, you can pay five bucks a month for access just for the channels, just for all these things that are going on. Um, a lot of interesting stuff. Um, the recommendations we, we got is um, for Authorized, which uh, Ashley Ford um, mm-hmm. is, I guess, producing is the right word. Um, Snap Judgment, I've heard, is pretty interesting. Um, they've got history shows. They've got a whole bunch of different shows. Um, a show on breasts in Science Society, a series hosted by John Ronson, um, who wrote um, yeah. So You've Been Publicly Shamed, and well, I can't remember the one before. The Psychopath Test. The Psychopath Test. test. Um, Janet Mock, apparently, uh, the, the transgender activist, um, is the first guest on Ashley Ford's authorized show. They're going to add a whole bunch of new things. So there's what's actually going on. Then there's like the meta story, right, about, mm-hmm. I don't know, the, the future of podcasts. You know, Gimlet's been trying to get into this. Um, Scripps bought The Midroll, which supplies some of our advertising, I should say. Then they bought Stitcher, which is a proprietary podcast platform. So all of, it, it feels to me like the grassroots days of podcasting are either over or in transition. Well, and there's also been this like rapid growth of audiobook listenership in the last few years, but the numbers of people listening to audiobooks has, have essentially stagnated. And it's just that who the people who are listening to audiobooks are listening to more 
and more of them. Like it's mm-hmm. a narrow but deep segment. And this looks like a nod to that as well to me, not just to the popularity of podcasts and of wanting to get in on whatever they're calling it, short form audio content, but to like, we have these people who rely on Audible as um, the standard bearer, I think is fair to say Mm -hmm. for um, audiobook content. What else could we get them to put in their ears from us instead of going somewhere else? How do we keep them in the Audible ecosystem? What's the thing? Well, the competitive thing is the podcast that people are producing saying that primarily, you know, launch and run through iTunes. Um, And so to go there and, you know, rather than I think it's smart to start this way with having a variety of names um, to various degrees launch produced and planned shows rather than to open up like the wild west of do you want to have your own thing you can launch your not a podcast on audible yeah like make of, it a medium of pod you know make it a medium sort of we could open right. an account and just start doing stuff right yeah yeah this seems smart to me um it'll be interesting i'm really interested in like what does the first quarter look like for them how will it go yeah um, I, I, I they I also probably have a lot of money i mean audible is the as as it says in the in the marketing copy that we read and it's not a joke they are the they are the big beast in the audiobook retailing segment and audio digital audiobooks are way up over the last few years so i'm guessing their coffers are pretty well coughed um, mm-hmm. at this point and so they're trying to figure out what else to do like can we expand our market share can we go to other places what's the main competitor to audiobooks and in my own i guess listening life that is the that is the the push me pull you right. It's between podcasts and audiobooks. I'm like I have a few podcasts I listen to. Usually, I find if one of the podcasts I like is out, I will privilege that over the audiobook I'm working on, which is interesting. Uh, I don't know why that is necessarily, but I just hmm. do. Um, and they Audible probably under if they're smart, there are no dummies over there. They probably have seen or understand a similar tension between yeah. podcasts and long-form narrated books that you pay a pretty premium price for. I mean, this podcast you're listening to is free to you to consume. Um, You basically subsidize it by listening to the ads and, you know, buying stuff and advertisers like that. Whereas I pay, I pay uh, even on my Audible membership and I do quite a few credits, so I get the cheapest, it's still pretty expensive per hour of listening compared to Mm -hmm. podcasts, which is a hell of a deal. Um, So that makes sense to me now. I'm not sure. I've got some reservations about this working because the biggest podcast phenomenon we've ever seen, right, was Serial Season 1. Mm-hmm. And having a paywall to start is a very difficult way, I think, for a pop culture phenomenon like that to happen, to get someone to really love your show. Like Netflix, I think, only started to be able to produce interesting shows that people will stay with Netflix for when the Netflix product itself was so compelling that like throwing in other shows, like it's very much, I was thinking it was like very much at this, that Netflix move of into original programming. Right. Um, so there, what, what do you think, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think they've functionally gated the audience from, for these new things mm-hmm. that it would be foolish to think that very many people are going to get new audible subscriptions just to listen to these channels, especially because we are now trained as consumers to believe that podcasts are a thing we listen to for free, mm-hmm. um, almost entirely. Um, there are, you know, some exceptions that you pay for subscriptions to a podcast or you support a website to get access to a podcast, but 
the vast majority of the podcast experience as a consumer is that it's a free thing um, mm. and you've gated it. Like, I think that they'll get conversions from within existing Audible customers. I'm really curious about But they don't need how, to because it's free with your existing Audible membership. Like, they don't, they don't get more they, money from you. I guess they're going for like we keep you. I think any, that's a keeping situation, maybe. right? It's a. It's kind of. I think they're thinking of it kind of in a zero sum situation mm. of like any hour that you spend listening to an Audible podcast right. is an hour that you're not listening to someone that you're not in someone else's ecosystem. Yeah. Um. And we do all only have so many listening hours in a day available. So it looks to me like that. I. I hope that they know that, that going in. Um, I'm curious from our listeners, if if you are an existing Audible customer, if you're going to be trying any of the channels, um, I'd love to know that. Uh, if you are not an existing Audible customer, take a look and let us yeah. know if any of these are compelling enough to you that you would pay for monthly access to them. Um, yeah, I don't think they're going to have like, it, it's a real challenge to have a massive like cultural moment of a hit mm-hmm. um, if you are st- right if you're starting behind a paywall. In audio, and unlike Netflix, like audio has a harder time being a big hit. Like there's a reason serial blowing up was a big deal because it just doesn't happen in audio. Well, sure, right. And like almost everybody watches TV. Yeah. Um, almost everybody does not listen to podcasts. And you can watch it. I mean, I've said this a million times before, but there's no book equivalent of a good TV or movie trailer. There just isn't. And so I think that that may be one difference for them to to wrestle with. One thing also we know about podcasting, having you know, we run a few of our own with, from Bookwright is if you can get someone to listen, you have a really good chance that they're going to listen for a long time. But getting them to try a new podcast is awfully difficult. Um, so I, I do wonder about that sort of situation. It's like, are there going to be enough people that are listening to audiobooks that go here for their podcasts? And I think it's smart not to do an upcharge because then you really are competing with free. And it's more of a customer retention thing. Like, I guess with Netflix. So if if they can get you hooked on one of their paywalled podcasts, I think they've got a good chance of – they can really increase the likelihood you're going to be a longer-term um, audible subscriber, lifetime value of acquisition, as they say, the bargaining uh, – the, the business jargon. Because let's say I'm hooked in, on enough Netflix shows now that I sort of – it would be difficult for me to foresee a situation in which I canceled my Netflix membership unless I was under, mm-hmm. f- you know, m- m- severe financial distress, only $9 a month to do streaming, you know, because I watch Daredevil, I watch Jessica Jones, I watch Master of None. Like there's a whole bunch of shows on there plus the other value because I, I can only get through through Netflix at least in a timely way. So I'm willing to pay the premium to stay there. If they can get you hooked on some of their shows – They've got a much better chance of like getting you to pay your fourteen ninety five a month for a, an mm-hmm. audiobook or whatever else the deal or package they might have. They're super interesting stuff um, to see. Okay, um, let's see. Long list for the Center for Fiction's first novel prize. Man, this is such a good. Another list. great list. The Center for Fiction does this award every year for people's first novels. It doesn't have to be your first book. It just has yeah, to be first novel. Your first novel, and this is just a knockout of a list, like. There are, what, 25 of them? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's 25 books. You could do a whole lot worse than use this to plan your reading for the rest of the summer or the rest yeah. of the year. Literary fiction, I should um, say. I mean, it's all yes. well, the mirror thief. Well, it's sort mostly, of a mist- I mean, they're all they're all at least literary f- crossover. Li- yeah, yeah. They're lit- yeah they, they taste like literary. Yes, that's right. Um, 
So some highlights from things that we've loved. Um, myself, there's uh, Here Comes the Sun by Nicole Dennis-Ben and Homegoing by Yad Jesse, uh, both really incredible novels. The Regional Offices Under Attack by Manuel Gonzalez is the funniest, most fun reading experience I've had of the year so far. Um, those are my highlights here. I'm interested that Thomas Jefferson's Dreams of Sally Hemings made it on this mm. list. <laughs> that is getting really incredible side eye from me here. Um, but lots of other interesting things here. Um, All Joe Knight by Kevin Morris, As Close to Us as Breathing by Elizabeth Polliner. Um, I've been hearing a lot about We Love You, Charlie Freeman yeah. by Caitlin Greenridge, or Greenidge from a book right contributors that seems to be picking up steam. Hurt People by, I think it's Kate Smith. Uh, mm -hmm. The title is really small on the screen that I'm looking at. Um, the Longest Night by Andrea Williams. The Girls by Emma Klein. A whole bunch of other ones. Really good list. Really, really good, interesting list. Interesting. Also diverse in many ways. Mm -hmm. uh, list. Lots of variety there. Um, congratulations to everybody on the long list. I don't know how you narrow this down to... I mean, I know what my personal short list would be, but I don't know how you narrow this down yeah, to I a short know. list. I don't know. I don't know um, it'll either. be fun to see who ends up winning. Uh, but those are cool. We'll have a, li a link to it in the show notes. You can let us know if any of your favorites uh, of the year so far have also made it on there. Here's a, a random fact before we do our last sponsor and then we get out yep. for the day. Did you know this is, I feel like this is the like final form of Jeff Rebecca is a, uh, did oh, you know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so did you know that according to Forbes, James Patterson is the third richest celebrity in the world? I guess I mean you don't call Bill Gates a celebrity, right? You someone True. who made their money through cultural work is that how we think of? I mean, uh, interesting. Anyway, I'm just saying mm -hmm. he can't be the third worst if you put Zuckerberg and Gates and like Mark Cuban. Up. Oh, it, okay. Sorry. The headline it's it's highest paid celebrity. Highest paid. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. The all headline right. line to me. Yeah. I'm. I mean, I'm not surprised. He is. He's the the the. 900-pound gorilla of publishing, and I just saw last week that American publishers did $28 billion in sales in 2015. So it's a, mm -hmm. still a big industry, and he commands. So I, I guess I'm not surprised. I, I guess you put up, what, Beyonce, like big-time musicians and movie stars mm -hmm. are the other ones that would be up at the top of that list. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm a little surprised. Is uh, Rowling's not ahead of him? Yeah. I'm a little surprised. The, yeah, that's – it's interesting. Is this the Americans? Whole... Are these only Americans? It says in the world. Hmm. Top five on the Celebrity 100. Taylor Swift, One Direction, James Patterson, Dr. Phil is number four. Those syndication dollars are a real thing. But how does Dr. Phil have more dollars? Well, I guess it's maybe just this year he's yeah, made more maybe, money than Oprah. Maybe, Where is maybe. Oprah? Yeah. It's... This is a fascinating list. I, I'm pleased that someone who makes books is so high up on this mm -hmm. list. If it was going to be somebody who makes books, I guess it was either going to be J.K. Rowling or James Patterson. But Rowling hasn't had a big thing this year. Yeah, I guess wait till um, Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, it's out. over the past 12 months. Yeah. So that's... Super but, interesting. Okay, do the yeah. last sponsor. And people were asking for my picks of my favorite books of the year so far since I wasn't on the special episode. Oh, so yeah. let's do the last okay. read. And we'll do those. We call it a teaser and I'll give you my few picks and we'll get out of here. Yeah, it's almost like this is your job. Yeah, almost like it. 
Uh, this final sponsor for the week is The Crow Girl by Eric Axel Sund, which is actually the pen name of a Swedish author duo, Jurker Eriksson and Hakan Oxlander Sundquist. Uh, this is a terrifying and addictive psychological thriller for readers of Jon Nesbo and Stieg Larsson. It begins in a Stockholm city park where the abused body of a young boy is discovered, and then soon the mutilated corpses, whoo, this is dark, um, of two more children are found, and it becomes clear that a serial killer is at large. Uh, the director, the dire- detective superintendent Jeanette Kielberg unravels the case and discovers it's undeniable that the murders are only the most obvious evidence of an insidious evil that's woven deep into Swedish society. Uh, so I think that uh, Stieg Larsson comparison sounds particularly apt. The authors are looking at themes of sexism and misogyny. Um, their writing process is really interesting. They play off of each other's strengths. One of them writes these long verbose sentences and the other prefers to write action-packed shorter sentences and so they collaborate with each other and rework until they're happy with what they've written and think that it all goes together well. Um, The story here was originally intended to be published as one book, but the Swedish editor decided it should be published as a trilogy. That's how it was originally published in Sweden and much of Europe. Um, The book is coming out from Knopf and they went back to the original intention of the authors to publish Mm. this as one book. So it's one book that is divided into three distinct uh, but complementary parts. Interesting. And again, it's called The Crow Girl by Eric Axel Sund. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. My picks. Um, I guess I'll, I've been doing a lot, you know, as you know, I do a lot of backlist these days, a lot of mm-hmm. nonfiction. So I don't have like a, a comprehensive, uh, a comprehensive, you know, what the year in, in literature really looks like right now. Um, so my uh, my the fiction is Sleeping Giants is my favorite novel I've read so far. How do you say this dude's name? Do you know? Uh, Sylvain Nouvel. Sylvain Nouvel. It's science fiction. That's what we're going with. Yeah, so uh, Sylvain Nouvel, something like that. Um, tore through it. My brothers and I both tore through it. Um, everyone I've known that's really liked it. So that's my favorite novel of the year so far. On the nonfiction front, it's really tough for me to pick. Um, I think it's between The Gene by Siddhartha Mukherjee and um, – Lab Girl by Hope Jarrett. Mm. Those are those are my two. Those are good. Backlist All good bump picks. things. Um, Neuro Tribes by Steve Silberman probably opened my eyes more than any other book I've read this year. Got me thinking about the world in a different way. Um, that came out last year. I listened to an audio this year. It was excellent. And um, the originals by Adam Grant also came out this year. Honorable mention for me for those. So those, those are my picks. Those are good and very Jeff picks. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I was looking. I was like, yep. That sounds right. Probably could have. If you saw my, my big list of books I've read this year, you've had a good chance of uh, uh, picking those out. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show this week. Um, thanks to our three sponsors. Go check them out. The show notes are available at bookriot.com slash listen. You can navigate to this episode. You can also see our other podcasts that we produce um, here at Book Riot, too. Shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. Uh, Rebecca, we'll talk to you later. Yep. Have a good one. <laughs> 